Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Ben pressed his lips to the rim of his cup, found the brew cold, and chucked the liquid over his shoulder onto the grass. The cup he crushed in a beefy palm as he looked around for a can to toss it in. The can sat next to the water fountain across the way, but it didn't look like Ben wanted to make a go for it either. I'm figuring it might be good to double up on this one, he said. Since when do you need a babysitter? I don't, but you're a woman, and she's a woman. You're black, she's black. See where I'm going with this? Thought you might be able to get something out of her that I can't. I slanted him a look. Oh, you did, did you? This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Tracy Clark, author of What You Don't See, the third book in her Chicago mystery series, starring sharp-eyed private investigator Cassandra Raines. Cass is a 30-something ex-Chicago cop who was forced to grow up fast after her mother died and her father abandoned her at age 12. She's tough, not easily frightened, strong but sensitive, and fiercely loyal to the people she loves. When her former CPD partner brings her on a paying side gig, two people are murdered and he gets seriously injured. Now, Cass won't let anything or anyone stop her from uncovering the truth. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So I want to ask, what was the first mystery you ever fell in love with? Oh, I don't know. I think probably it would probably have to be one of Agatha Christie's. Uh, I started reading her maybe around 12 or 13 years of age. Um, I don't know what the first one was, but I remember reading the first one and saying, oh, my God, I can't believe these are so great. And then sort of running through, I think she wrote maybe 80 or 80-some novels all in all. So I would just sort of run through all of them. After that first one, I just picked up the next one and the next one and the next one. For a few years there, I had an Agatha Christie in my back pocket all the time. So, you know, it was just Agatha Christie all the time. So I don't remember what that first one was. I can't really remember, but uh, I read all of them. So it finally got to the point where I I had exhausted all the 80-some-odd and sort of had to move on to the next thing. Hmm. You're a Chicago-based editor and journalist. Yes. What Mm -hmm. made you decide to start writing a mystery series? Mm, I don't know. I guess it started maybe when I sort of, uh, maybe the early part of the 80s, I sort of read um, Sarah Paretsky and... uh, Sue Grafton, sort of then that wave of 80s when all those great female crime writers started sort of popping up almost all at the same time. So I think I sort of read the first one and sort of ran through, again, like the, the Christie's, sort of ran through all of them, uh, Marsha Mueller, uh, Nancy Picard, all of them. So in the midst of reading, I said, well, this is kind of interesting. I like that uh, the females are sort of finding the murderers and solving the crimes. I wonder if I can write one of my own. And it took a while to sort of get that started. I read mostly everything. 
Uh, it took a while to sort of get to the jump to sort of maybe think I could sort of write one on my own. That took a few more years to sort of get up the courage to do that. But once I did, I just sort of started and it took decades to finally get something that actually worked or seemed like it worked, um, you know, but that's what started me off. So Agatha Christie to maybe the sort of golden age of female crime writers and that sort of jumped off. Maybe I can sort of write something of my own, maybe an African-American female instead of a traditional uh, female character. And I also knew that I wanted it to be in Chicago so because that's where I am. Uh, that's what I know best. So I knew that she had to be African-American. I wanted her to be that. I wanted her to be a female. I wanted her to be in Chicago. And I wanted to see what I could do with that. So that's how it started. Uh, that's, that's, that's that before, actually, I started going to like mystery conferences and really sort of committing to learning the craft of writing, uh, learning the elements of what made a successful story, uh, character development, pacing, uh, setting, all of those things I sort of had to sort of fool around with for years to sort of see whether or not I could come up with something that actually worked. So that's how Cass I just started. So Cass Rains, she's a fabulous protagonist. She covers a lot of territory. She's driving up to the north side or riding her bike on the lake path. Our city is kind of um, like, she's the main protagonist, but mm-hmm. so is the city of Chicago. Wow. And all three of your books are kind of a love letter to yeah. Chicago. Am I, am I misinterpreting or do yeah, you love the city? Right. Uh, this is my city. This is where I was born and raised and still live. Uh, I want, don't want to leave any neighborhood out. Uh, so she goes everywhere. Uh, she's based in the South side. Uh, she's She grew up there. Uh, she went to school here. Her church is here, but you know, she goes to the North side and it's a little weird for her. You know, there's, there's still that sort of, uh, sort of mythical, uh, rivalry between North Side and South Side, playfully uh, sort of done, but but uh, it's sort of like being a fish out of water up north and sort of in the suburbs. But she goes, uh, she goes everywhere. I sort of try to like to get the whole city in as much as I can. Um, I don't let it sort of dictate what the story is, but the story comes first, and then she sort of ventures out as uh, as the suspects and murders and dead bodies go. Uh, she goes everywhere. I'm thinking of maybe sort of putting her in the zoo at some point. I'm not sure how I'm going to work that out, but I think a zoo, sort of an interesting sort of a setting for her, whether or not that's Lincoln Park or Brookfield Zoo. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Okay. Um, Cass has a lot of terrible eating habits she neglects to eat for a day. And then all of a sudden she's eating like donuts, double bacon burgers, fries, onion rings, banana cream pie. <laughs> Is, is it all the bike riding that keeps her looking so good? I think that and the fact that she just doesn't have time to sort of think about it. Um, she's that kind of person. I mean, she's when she sort of gets her knee, her teeth into a case, that's it. Uh, she doesn't sleep well. She doesn't eat right. Uh, she goes to her favorite diner for pancakes or cheeseburgers or whatever. Whatever's fast, whatever is quick, whatever she doesn't have to cook. So her eyes are on the prize 24-7. Uh, so that's how she sort of popped into my head when I was sort of developing her. And maybe at some point uh, she will sort of settle down and uh, sort of eat like an adult. But at this point, she just goes, <laughs> eats whatever's there. Uh, and also she's a former cop. So that's how cops, you know, some cops eat, not all. Uh, but, you know, you're eating fast, you're eating on the run, you're eating what you can as you get to the next thing. So that's her thing at this point. And we'll see whether or not she gets diabetes or has to sort of <laughs> go another route. But, you know, she's still relatively young. I think in book three, she's 36. So she's got a couple of years or until she has to sort of buckle down and act like a person. 
Yeah. Let's talk more about Chicago food, especially now that so many restaurants are struggling. We should we should just tell everyone listening to this podcast, go order dinner from the neighborhood place, yes, you know. Do it. Support Make them. sure it's still yeah. there. Yeah, 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 um, so so Tracy, what are your go-to places in the city and what do you think makes who do you think makes the best pizza? Oh, um, I don't know. Everybody everything <laughs> that's a that's a tough one. I think uh, every I'm, neighborhood has their favorite. Um I sort of deep dish pizza. I could have it anywhere. I don't care um, as long as it's good. I don't have a favorite place. I just have a favorite thing. So mm-hmm. deep dish pizza would be good. Uh, as long as you don't mess it up and put pineapple on it, I'm good to go. <laughs> okay, I'm I, I, I'm particularly fond of Lou Malnati's, but yeah, that's but I'll also eat it. I'll eat good. anywhere as long as it's vegetarian. Just hold the pineapple. Okay, some of Cass Rain's best friends are fellow cops. Yeah, from when she was on the force, uh-huh. but she's grappled with a few bad ones. Yeah. So let's talk about CPD. What do you yeah. think? Are they improving sensitive to race issues or do we still have a ways to go? I think we still have a ways to go. I think they've got a really, really tough job. Um, I, there's a comp, it's a complicated issue. It's a complicated department. It's a complicated uh, atmosphere that we're in right now. Um, the p- police officers that I sort of talked to, before I started this series, I was looking for not so much procedure, but attitude and uh, viewpoint and sort of how they approach their job, especially female detectives and female officers. Um, it's a tough job. Um, everybody's trying to do it well. But like anything, uh, there are bad dentists, there are bad cops, there are good dentists, there are good cops. You just have to sort of sort of find an area or find a way to sort of everybody get along and do the job that needs to be done in respectful and right ways. And I think we still have a ways to go with that. I think we're not the only ones. Chicago's not the only city that has that problem. I think it's a nationwide thing. And we just have to sort of buckle down and get it done and figure it out. I agree. They should ask you. You know, well, yeah. <laughs> loyalty, <laughs> loyalty is really important to Cass. Yeah, it, 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 comes out, it comes out in all three of your books. So I'm guessing that it's really important to you as well. Can you say a bit about, more about that? Well, it is important to her because of her background and her upbringing. Um, she has had some really complicated things happen to her. Uh, she lost her mom at the age of 12. Uh, her father sort of dumped her off at her grandparents' uh, doorstep. Uh, unable to sort of deal with single parenthood. So she's had that sort of uh, sort of void in her childhood. Uh, now that was taken up to a certain extent by the priest who sort of mentored her and parented her in his absence, in her father's absence. Her grandparents were there, you know, but she sort of has a tendency to sort of hold on to people who are who have been loyal to her. And she sort of gives that loyalty back. Um, her circle, however, is very small. Uh, she doesn't trust a lot of people as a result of this sort of weird upbringing. Um, but she has her little circle, her little family, and she's very loyal to them. Uh, loyalty is important to me as well. And I, maybe that sort of carries over to the character, but yes, loyalty is very, very important. She will go Mm. into the world for her little family, but that Mm -hmm. family is very small. She can count maybe on one hand, the number of people who are sort of in that sort of tight little unit. 
Mm -hmm. Two of them are her best friends from childhood. Right. You introduce them in the first book and they're Mm -hmm. important. One has become a nun and one is an ex-con. Can you talk a bit about the three of them and what they mean to each other? Well, let's see. In terms of her complicated childhood, mother uh, died of cancer at 12, father abandoned her, raised by the grandparents and the priest as her sort of pseudo father. Uh, Whip, uh, the ex-con, sort of had a similar situation. Uh, He had an alcoholic father. His mother died around the time that Cass's mother died. Um, And he sort of sort of floundered around for a bit and sort of disappeared from her life. And sort of when we find him again, he's right out of prison, sort of trying to rebuild his life again. Uh, The nun, uh, Barb Covey, is the youngest of nine Irish Catholics. Um, Didn't have sort of the complicated thing. Parents were both in the same home, uh, nine uh, siblings, all battling Irish. Uh, Her deal is that she sort of sort of got lost in the in the crowd so she sort of hung on with the uh, whip and and cast. So these three, sort of a sort of Scooby gang, sort of grew up together, sort of running the streets and doing whatever they needed to, and until they ran into Pop, and then all sort of straightened out, except for Whip, who had that sort of blip and uh, ended up in in crime or a life of crime. But he straightened himself out, so it's all right. And they've sort of hung in together, all three of them. Yeah, it's nice. It's it, they're tight. It's yeah. it's a lovely. You, you yeah. really portray that well. I was trying to sort of recreate the family that she didn't have. She didn't have like the the perfect family, the nuclear family. So she sort of created one for herself. Uh, these two friends, uh, the waitress at the diner, uh, her uh, bottom uh, apartment dweller, her resident. You know, so she's got all these people, her family, her group, and she sort of clings close to them. Yeah. She, uh, Cass refuses to take flack for staying with her former police partner after he's seriously injured instead of running after the perp who then gets away. So do you think with, would there be any question about that in the real world? Would she have been rebuked for taking care of her downed partner or would she have been applauded? Well, you know, I'm not a cop, but from what I've heard, I think the, uh, the main thing at that point would be to take care of your partner. Uh, whatever happened to your partner, the safety of him or her, uh, is probably the the most important thing at that point. Um, chasing after the guy probably would not net her that much success. Uh, he's got well a really big lead on her, you know. I think, and she doesn't know at this point, at that point, how badly he's injured. So if she takes off running after him and he dies well on the floor, that's not a pretty good thing. So that's what I was thinking. Um, cops might sort of see it different, but you know, I haven't asked them. Uh, I'm not a cop, so. I sort of went with what felt right. I thought it said a lot about her character. You do a really good job of, um, through stories like that, of showing who she is. And then it goes back to her sense of loyalty, uh, taking care of the family that she sort of created for herself. Yeah. yeah. You give a shout out to UIC. It was called Circle when I was commuting to classes in the oh, last century. Too. I went there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I want to quote, um, UIC offered higher education on the down and dirty for those who didn't have a lot of time or money to young bison their way toward a diploma frat, toward a diploma through frat parties, football games, and navel gazing, Proust fests in the back of dusty campus bars, something like, I think I'm, yep. 
mall vet. Sorry about it. But, um, <laughs> we met Young Bison in Borrowed Time, your second Cass Rains uh-huh. mystery. He hires Cass to find his missing friend. But I wanted to ask you, like, let's talk UIC for a minute. Look at what it's become. Yeah, I can hardly believe it. When I was there, there were no dorms. There were none, none of that stuff was over there. You just sort of went to school, went to class, got on the L, went back to wherever you came from. And that was it. it down and dirty. You weren't there to sort of uh, fat parties or sort of hang around the quad or whatever. I mean, class, get out. It's a commuter college. It was a commuter college when I went. You commuted yep. in? Yeah, K2. And that's where I lasted a year because uh, you, <laughs> you couldn't make friends. Well, it, yeah, it was difficult to do that because everybody was there for the same freaking thing. You're there mm-hmm. to sort of get what you need to get and get the heck out. And we all had jobs. So everybody left like three yep. o'clock. Uh-huh. Like we all seven, doing you know. two or three other things in addition to going to class and learning or start trying to get a degree. I was there for my master's. So I was not interested in fret parties or any of that stuff. I wanted to get in and out, get that master's and go. Yeah. And now they have like all kinds of fun stuff there. Yeah. It's, it's a real, there. It's a real place. Yeah. So back to Cass. She doesn't take anything from anyone. Is she based on someone you respect or is she your alter alter ego or did she blossom fully formed out of your imagination? Well, you know what? Uh, Her voice has been in my head for decades and she came Mm -hmm. to me like that. She came to me not taking any gruff from anybody. Um, she's She's not shy like I am. She's not afraid to voice her opinion. Uh, she is just out there. Uh, if somebody gives her gruff, she gives it right back to him. Um, and I like that about her. There's a certain amount, maybe a little bit of Walter Mitty in there. I wish I could sort of be that kind of person. Not really. I'm not really. Um, you know, but I like that in her. I like the fact that she sort of stands up for who she is and what she needs to do. And she is not going to let anybody or anything stop her. And I think that's mm-hmm. That's the kind of characters that I sort of like to read when I'm reading. And it's certainly the kind of character that I enjoy writing about. Yeah. Uh, you talked about how her mother died when she was 12. And as she says in the book, she stopped being a child in the few short days yeah. between her mother's passing and the morning her father decided he wanted out mm-hmm. and left yeah. her. Can you talk more about how she managed to pull herself together, get the education, find the career and move on? I think the pop had a lot to do with that. That's her sort of pseudo father. Um, he sort of found her, I think, on the day of her, of her, mama, her mother's funeral, really, uh, and sort of latched onto her and sort of guided her through the sort of difficult part of sort of having no mother and having to sort of move in with her grandparents and knowing that her father sort of reneged on his responsibility to be a parent. You know, that's sort of a tough thing to take for a 12-year-old or anybody And she sort of guided her through that, um, sort of put her on the right track along with the other two friends. All three of them sort of benefited from his uh, mentorship and sort of caring and guidance. You know, so he, I think he sort of put her on the path to the straight and narrow. And then begin the sort of, I think the decision for her to be a cop, I think sort of spawned out of the fact that she wanted to make something right in a world where not a lot of right had gone for her. So I think that was sort of the motivation for her, sort of a crappy childhood. Nobody could make that sort of that right for her, but maybe she could do something for the next person or the next guy or the next kid. So I think mm-hmm. that sort of, sort of motivated her to sort of become a police officer and sort of try to help to sort of serve and protect. 
And, you know, that's where she is uh, when sort of that sort of turned on her at that sort of pivotal point in book one. And she had to sort of be something else. It was still the motivation was the same. So she's not mm-hmm. a cop, but she's now doing that on sort of a private basis. She's a PI doing the same thing she would have been doing if she had stayed with the department. Yeah, she realizes at some point that two characters once knew each other. And she says, I'm going to try not to mingle this. I could see how they might have come together all those years ago. They were the same person, greedy, gnarled, black-hearted, both tangled together like two crabs in a barrel, clawing over each other, neither getting anywhere close to out. Tracy, do you think it's possible that a few folks from high school or college might read those words and think you're talking about them? I don't think so. I mean... (laughs) I think if you're, if you're that kind of person, you don't re- you don't recognize yourself. And I'd really um, wouldn't base that on anybody specific. That's just sort of making a sort of a general comment on human behavior. So it's not anyone specific, uh, but it is human. So um, I sort of tap into that sort of emotion and that sort of greed and gnarliness that we all sort of have somewhere deep. Um, you know, it's just a human experience. So the books, there's three so far, they're standalone, but I was really glad that I got to read the first two mm-hmm. before I read the third one, because then I knew all, you know, mm-hmm. so much more. What do you suggest to new readers? Well, let's see, I'm the kind of person who has to read it from book one all the way through. And that's just my personal preference, because the author, uh, not me specifically, but all authors, sort of dole out characters in a certain arc. So you have that sort of emotional growth from book to book to book. Uh, Cass in book one is slightly different than she is in book two and book three. But you sort of have to take that sort of journey with her to sort of understand her in book three in terms of what happened in book one. Some Mm. readers don't care. They can uh, sort of read book three first and book two and then book one. That's fine. Everybody has their preference. Um, And we sort of write them to sort of be able to stand alone if they had to. So if a reader reads book three instead of book two or one, they'll still sort of get the gist, but they don't take that journey with her. The journey for me as a reader is sort of the fun part of it. Mm-hmm. Sort of finding a character and sort of going through that character through all of these struggles and conflicts and everything, and the little slight changes that happen as they sort of go through that process. But you know, if you want to be rogue and just go with it, uh, go. You know, who am I? <laughs> who am I to tell you how to how to do it? Okay, just want to make sure. What's your favorite part of the process of being a mystery author? Um, the writing of it. Uh, the sort of creating a story, starting with a blank page and sort of having that story sort of develop and grow and flourish and sort of branch out until you get to the end. Uh, That's the challenge for me, uh, putting in the pacing and setting and make sure that the setting is as vibrant and as colorful as the characters themselves. Uh, It's a process. It's a craft. It's uh, you get better at it. I hope as you go from book to book, I think I have. And it's just a learning experience and sort of getting in there and moving the words around and the paragraphs and moving chapters and deleting characters and adding new ones. I like the process itself. Uh, I don't so much like the rewriting part, but it's something that you have to do. It's just uh, going over it again and make sure that everything is in its rightful place and that everything sort of moves in the same general direction. 
you know, but I like the process. Uh, some writers don't like it, uh, pull their hair out and everything. I kind of like it. Okay. But you don't like the writing and the rewriting. You mean the rewriting a hundred times before it's rewriting perfect. Times, you know, <laughs> in my warped brain, once I'm done with it, Hey, the story's told. I, I don't need <laughs> anymore. A ticket, do whatever you want with it. You know, but I know, uh, you know, realistically that you have to sort of go back through it and make sure that everything sings and every sentence sort of has a rhythm to it and that every character is sort of moving in the right direction and everything has sort of a conflict and a struggle and that the, everything sort of comes to the end in a nice little, pack, nice little package. So I know mm-hmm. that that has to happen. I just don't enjoy the rewriting and the revising as much as I write, enjoy the writing itself. So is there another Cass Rains mystery in the pipeline? Uh, I just handed in book four in the series. Uh, it's called Runner. And in this one, uh, Cass has to find a 15-year-old runaway. Uh, the only problem with that is she's not the only one looking. And she has to find this kid before the opposing forces find the kid first. And sort of a cat and mouse sort of a thing. Um, I think it's pretty good. It takes place in a Chicago winter. And that is a character in and of itself. I mean, really. It's 15 below. There's snow all over the place. It's cold. It's windy. And she's got to find this 15-year-old kid who's out there somewhere before someone else finds her. Uh, And that one comes out on July uh, 2021. And I'm looking forward to it. Maybe July of 2021, we'll all be seeing each other again in person without masks. Right? Yeah. Okay. Zoom is fine, but, you know, I sort of miss that sort of person-to-person sort of interaction, uh, book clubs and libraries and stuff. Uh, you can't sort of get book smell through a Zoom Zoom meeting. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm ready for, ready for it to get back to normal. Tracy, it was so much fun talking to you today. Wish you a lot of luck, and I'm so um, glad that I found the Cass Rains books. I'm glad this you found them. Thank you. Thanks, Galit. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Tracy Clark, author of What You Don't See, the third in her Chicago Mystery Series. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle's an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash NBN forward slash join. 